Hello, welcome to the Bush Lee Gaming Podcast, your source for ordinary opinions from ordinary gamers. Today we are reviewing God of War. I'm your host, Jacob Bush, and with me today, he is quicker to trust a fart than a friend, leader of the Nintendites, Ryan Scalf. <laughs> you know, trusting both has hurt me many times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've heard stories, I've heard stories. But hey, that's what makes love worth it, right? <laughs> Risk of getting hurt. Our other co-host today has been known to smuggle beef burritos in his bathrobe. Your favorite Crip boy, Nick Beard. Yeah, Nick, Christmas. Christmas of 2018. Was it 2018? Oh, that's a, this is a true 2018. story. Yeah, this I thought you were story. just making that up. Yeah, I made burritos at a Christmas party, and oh, Nick yes. took like half the platter and a bathrobe. I think to be fair, walking out the door, they were I had great. eight of them. Yeah, they were. Well, that's why. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I'll post that recipe to our bushleagaming.com. You should. We should be a, we should part time do like a cooking blog. Just let's completely redirect this whole thing. You know, gaming's, gaming's a slower, you know, endeavor. Maybe we just, maybe we'll hit a big cooking. Gaming's for fun, but cooking is a passion. That is a passion. Right. We're not here to talk about cooking. We're here to review God of War. Yes, it's 2020. Yes, the game came out in 2018. More specifically, it came out on April 20th, 2018 on the PlayStation 4. It was developed by Sony Santa Monica, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Originally priced at $60. Guys, we picked this up for kind of free, right? PlayStation free, Plus. Right? Yeah, that's free. PlayStation Plus collection. That's free if you just pay for the monthly subscription. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. $5 a month. Right. I mean, we played the game. I think we all beat it pretty much in about a week. So you break that out of $5, it costs us like a dollar and a half, $2. It was nice. Yeah. Anyway, so the genre of this game, I had to look it up because I didn't really know what to call it. I thought it was like, you know, a single player, story driven, third person game. A lot of things just called it action, adventure, hack and slash. Would you guys agree with that? Definitely hack and slash. That's definitely oh, yeah. combat for sure. And then Good adventure time. too, right? Because you're, you're you know, going across the Norse world. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So though this is titled God of War, this is actually the fourth God of War game. Uh, it is the first that I've ever played. Guys, have you played the other ones? I played God of War 1 a little bit. I didn't okay. even finish it. Really? Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. Nick, no, how about this you? Is, this is my first one. Yeah, it's uh, it makes you want to go back and play the others, though. It does. So enough about. He doesn't look. Kratos doesn't look as good without the beard, though. He doesn't. He looks like a After little baby. Like, I know. Going back, I'm like, man, that doesn't even look like Kratos anymore. No, like a little baby faced, but he's still jacked. He was jacked back then. He was jacked, but he wasn't menacing. You know what I mean? He was kind of like he kind of looked like the guy that got kicked out of the bar for like yelling too loud or you know something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. The bouncers were big enough to like carry him out. But he's like jacked, but he's not like a god. But like old Kratos, no one's messing with old Kratos. Right. Yeah. He's going to burn down the building. But guys, enough of introductions of this game, enough details about it. What were your overall thoughts of God of War? Mm, Ryan, Nick, how about you? No, 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 Nick, you go first. I'm- <laughs> yeah. All right. I think my mind was blown as much as I expected it to be blown. I mean, we've seen... People talk about this game for years since it came out and for us jumping into this universe, you know, for a long time, haven't been here. I think the game just delivered in every category that a game can deliver on. And so that's, yeah, I guess that's my overall takeaway that the game was incredible. Yeah, I there's been few sources of media that have made me rethink my understanding of the universe. Really? Oh, yeah. So Halo, 
for sure. <laughs> I was part of the covenant for a while. I, I saw the <laughs> I saw the light in the covenant. I I've, I'm clean of that now. Proud of you, dude. I was I was pretty close to converting to heathenry, the Nordic, wow. the this. old Nordic religion. I I cannot believe. How do, why do we even study Greek and Roman mythology? Because it's right? so beta to Norse mythology. Like, <laughs> so it's funny you say that because I had the same thoughts after we went through this and then we started talking about it and then we started researching. I was like, wow, why, why am I just not in tune with this more than all that other stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but when they put me into this world, I spent every night reading about Norse mythology for Probably the whole week it took me to beat the game because I was just obsessed with all of these legends, all the characters you meet, the world that they they show you. It's just powerful. I want to stick on kind of art direction for the start of this story. We're going to save for last because I want to go into some spoilers there. But when it comes to art direction and and Norse mythology and how it's all tied together, I just felt like in this environment, I felt... A very mythical feeling. It felt like you were in a in a, a Norse gods kind of backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And the like the vistas they show you throughout the game, there's all these locations where you just get this view of the world and it makes it feel so huge. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's kind of it's kind of what I picture imagine like Vikings for the first time making landfall in a place they've never never knew existed. And it's this huge open area that's like this new discovery and that's kind of what this game makes you feel it's like you you go out into that first the big lake the lake of the nine worlds yeah and it's like oh my gosh like this is a giant game you realize like the mass of what you're about to do yeah i didn't i didn't expect that going into it i, I expected extremely linear gameplay and when i saw that lake and i saw the side quests and then as i progressed and beat the game and i was like oh yeah there's a lot of stuff to still do this game was far more open world than I expected and I loved it. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. It's one of the first times, but also you keep coming back to the lake there in the middle. Mm-hmm. And when you row out there in the boat for the first time and you just see how expansive everything is and how they, it's crazy how, you know, this is a game from 2018 and they make the landscape and the environment so massive Yeah, and you so small without making it, uh, you know, without unbalancing it, and you literally feel that as you're rowing your boat out there, and then when you get on to the, you know, the middle ground right there, and you start turning the bridge, it's insane. You get that feeling of like I'm, I'm in a god's backyard. Like I'm, I'm not in a regular place. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, some of the decisions they made. I think they were creative liberties that weren't true to the legend, but they did a service to the game itself is the, the world serpent. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name starts with a J Atreus at one point, uh, Kratos, son says he's supposed to wrap around the world. And Kratos says impossible. And he goes, I don't know. He looks pretty big to me. And you just <laughs> see his body like disappear beyond the mountains. And it, it, it gives you that sense of like, he really could be wrapped around this world right now. Yeah. Jormungandr. Jormungandr, yeah. yeah. And in the legend, he's like, he's a dormant asleep under the ocean. So like they never would have seen him. Well, while they took some creative, you know, direction there on their own, I, I don't feel as if anything, and correct me if, if you have a different opinion, Ryan, I don't feel as if anything did a disservice to the the traditional mythology either, right? No, and that's kind of the thing is none of this, 
not a ton of this was actually like written in stone. So there was different regions that believed different stories about different gods. Different you know? sects. Kind of like all yeah. religions. Yeah. So it's it's not like crazy that they would they would take these liberties because although it's not exactly how it was written in some areas, other areas may have believed that. It's so it's funny we we're getting caught up in talking about the Norse history and the Norse mythology and There's a reason for that. This game does something really well where it takes that form of art, really, when you look back and read that and those teachings and those and those writings, it's 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 kind of like art now, right? It's it's like reading a book, it's it's literature. But this game is a good representation of how video games can be art now. Like I can show when I want to prove to someone that video games are art, I want to show them God of War because it takes history, it takes a human story, it takes beautiful graphics and beautiful music and a beautiful score, and it puts them all together perfectly. Like, I think that's why God of War has been praised since 2018 as one of the best games of all time, because it does it all well and it, it fits. Like, everything just fits together, where the art direction is unmatched, in my opinion. Did you notice that this game is shot in one shot? Like, it's a single shot. A continuous. Yeah, it's there's the no sort that. of load. Like, that is, I you know, maybe a game's done that, but not at this scale. And it created a super like cinematic feel. Like this yeah. felt like a, like we were playing a movie because it was yeah. one shot. And I think that's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's yeah, you it know, takes all that and engulfs you in it. A big thing for me was the just the colors that they used. You know, you go to Helheim, yeah, and that's like the underworld where it's ice cold, and it's like it's kind of just all these northern lights kind of colors. It's just this frosty place, and then you go to the elven world. And it's like these super bright, vibrant colors because there's light elves and dark elves. And then the dark elves come in and you're fighting them. And all of the colors become these like pastelli, dark. They lose a lot of that like brightness, that luster. And it's just like these subtle things where you're like, man, like these are real things happening to this world right now. And it just felt so real. Yeah, it it felt like a full-blown movie. I'm going to come back to Red Dead Redemption 2 at the end of this review, but it felt like that, where that felt like I was playing a movie, I was living a movie. God of War is very much playing and living through a movie. Yeah, very, very much a cinemagraphic experience to some some extent. For sure. So moving on from art direction, let's get into gameplay. Ryan, I want to start with you since you have some experience with the God of War franchise, very little, but still some. What did you think of the combat? Honestly, at the very beginning with that axe... You start with that frost axe. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It was such a cool weapon. You could do so much with it from like throwing it and it coming back to you whenever you call it. And it was still true to God of War, that hack and slash kind of thing. But I feel like they, they did such a good job of giving you new abilities and they're so obtainable. So many games, I feel like you you get to the end of the game and all of a sudden you start unlocking all these great things. But throughout the game, they're, they're feeding you constantly new abilities, new forms of combat, new things you can do with your weapons. And I feel like they did an amazing job of that because I was always testing something new. And every type of enemy you come across needs some sort of different style of combat. Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of games have a mechanic where they introduce a new move or new skill. And I would say 75% of the time, at a certain point, I'm not even touching those new skills. For example, we just played Spider-Man 2018. I just started buying those upgrades and not even really reading what some of them were because I had my routine. I felt like with God of War, they really pushed you to try out all of those new skills and they were very like 
they were feasible. Like they made sense to use in certain settings and you wanted to use them. Big time. Yeah, it's funny you say that about Spider-Man too because at one point I had like 14 points I hadn't used and I just was like, ah, this doesn't make sense. But in God of War, it was different. And there were even times where you would get to a boss, it'd be really hard, you'd get stuck and then you'd go, you know, maybe I need to upgrade my weapons or change, change certain things. You would do that and you would feel the difference and it would make sense. And so that, that aspect was very cool. And like many hack and slash games, it's hack and slash, but you're kind of constricted to this mechanic or this, this path of, of what the mechanics can do where God of War felt very open. So yeah, it was hack and slash and button mashing, but there were a lot of variety and options. And it was kind of in like this big open feeling that made it, I, th- I think kind of a unique hack and slash. It really did. And like kind of, I think what made it unique kind of touching on that, Nick is the Atreus support mechanic, which starting off, I was very hesitant to like that because most of the time when you have a weak character with you, you're stuck protecting them. They're more baggage than helpful. And Atreus was only just helpful, right? He, he didn't have low health ever really. And he, he was, was just a game changer. He was a game changer. I, th- yeah. I think, I think that was kind of one of the keys getting to what you're describing, Nick, of how it just felt different than a hack and slash. Yeah, and he only got better too. And same with kind of your your character and your your mechanics and weapons and everything. Yeah, there was, I mean, for example, there's, I think it's the trolls you fight where they have those big pillars, they swing at you. Yeah, they suck. And you can throw your axe at certain weak points of their body when they're swinging their leg or their arm at you. But there was times where I'm like, oh, shoot, my axe isn't available. Rather, I got like knocked down or my axe is way on the other side of the map <laughs> and I have to call it back. And then you just hit square and you can tell Atreus exactly where you want him to shoot. So you have this extra layer of options that you, didn't, you wouldn't have in any other game. You know what I mean? So it, it was just like a clever way. If, if you're quick enough, you can make do with whatever you have at the time. Well, and also like at the beginning of the game, I didn't even consider Atreus. I didn't consider using him. And I like, it's, it's this weird parallel of as I'm playing the game and kind of trusting the mechanics more of kind of like, oh, Atreus, you can count on him. Kratos is also trusting in in Atreus as well. It felt very symbiotic of how both of us are like learning to trust Atreus to help us. That's a great, great comparison. I think that's that's by design and it's part of the brilliance of this game it's so subtle too like we're gonna miss a lot of these subtleties that that were programmed into this game but you just feel it when you walk away playing it when you're when you're in the midst of it and when you finish it you're like i just experienced something new and like it's just these little details and what's awesome too is once you know as the story goes on atreus learns that he is a god right and like any 10 year old that just goes straight to his head and he 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 becomes super confident he believes he can't be killed and you see that in the abilities you unlock, unlock at that same time in the yep. game. All of a sudden, uh, Treyas can jump onto enemies and stab them in the neck. And like he does backflips off them. Like He's learning these at the exact same time. He's getting way overconfident in his yep. abilities as a god. Yeah, the subtleties. Again, like Jacob said, this is some of the genius of how they developed this game. They were subtleties. They were all over, but they were palpable. The genius of some of the things they put in their different experience. I will say, speaking to what you're talking about, Ryan, that was one of the most annoying parts about the game when Atreus was being a little punk kid. That was the yeah. worst part of the game. Oh, 
for sure. But I was cringing. You probably felt the same way that Kratos was feeling. You do. Shut up, kid. Like, you know nothing. There was literally a point where I think we're in some cave, whatever it was, fighting a troll. And I'm sitting there mashing square because I'm like, Atreus, I need your arrows. I need help right now. Shoot this thing. And he's, and then audibly, you hear Kratos like telling him, you need to be doing this. And like, Again, this weird feeling of me and Kratos are the same person. I'm getting frustrated by pressing this button while Kratos is yelling at his kid because he's not listening because the story is impacting him. He just found out he's a god, he's cocky, and he doesn't want to listen to his dad. It's something that only dads are going to understand too, is you're going to feel that with your son when you're like, I told you to do this. I need you to do this. And they're just sitting by not ready to do it. And I, I think it's that type of writing is so real and it makes you care so much more about the characters. Yeah. Because oh. yeah, I was, I was pissed at Atreus, but as he comes into his understanding of like, no, I'm going to, I want to be a good God. I'm not going to be like the rest of them. I feel like I cared so much more and that was so much more real and sincere in the writing yeah would have been if he just went like he was always good never went through this kind of you know angst or rebellious stage yeah i think it was so relatable and yes as a father but also as an adult you uh, you start watching this pride and this ego just unfold and as a father or as an adult who has just gone through life and had some experience you know where that leads and you're watching this slowly unfold that now he's a God and he's, you're seeing all this pride and it just built up and he's not himself and he's making bad decisions as a little kid. And you're just like cringing because you know where this is going and it's so real. And yeah. it, it was just, I remember watching that and being like, no, no, he's, he's going to go down this path and just kind of literally my chest was tightening like, no. Well, and we can, we can all speak to being sons here, right? And, and having fathers in our lives. But I'm just curious, Nick, from your perspective, you became a father in the last year. Did that life experience, how you think that played into your experience with this game? Yeah, definitely. There were, and I don't know if this is, if we would even put this in, in a category, but there were little scenes, I'm sure you guys noticed it, but when we talked about subtleties, where Atreus would step up to this overlook and he would peer out at the landscape and Kratos would reach out like he wanted to touch him. Oh yeah. Like yeah. put his he did this I think three or four times that I noticed. Yeah. And it was like he wanted to be a father and to grab his son's shoulder at that moment or back and and just enjoy the moment and he didn't. Yeah. And, and so I think there were a ton of subtleties that they added into that story that were so real and they, they may not have been noticeable to everybody, but subconsciously they were there, they were palpable and they played into that experience hundred percent, especially if you're a father. I think a lot of those things resonated with you, rather you notice them or not. This is not necessarily the father son dynamic, but like just the, the loss of Kratos's wife and like the loss of uh, Atreus's mom like that. I didn't cry in this game, but I could have. Like, I, I could have flipped that switch, I think, because I'm like, once you start putting yourself in, in those, those shoes, it's done very beautifully where you see the loss, you see the fear in Kratos' eyes, but then you start seeing this connection. And I think Kratos has this fear throughout the whole game that he's not going to be able to raise him right. He's going to become, uh, you know, a bad god, really, is what his fear is. And you just see this beautiful journey of 
a father becoming a father and a son learning who his dad is. Like that's what I saw this story as. Yeah, that was that was really well said. That was pretty deep. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to go into actually. I'll save I'll save some of these because we're in story now. I want to come back. I want to pump the brakes a little bit and go back to some of the gameplay mechanics because I think they're they're not necessarily unique, but they're done really well. So I really really enjoyed the puzzles to unlock the chests and also the puzzles with the booby traps. A lot of times those things are done very poorly and they're just there to, to change up the gameplay a little bit. These felt very intentional and they felt very smart where, you know, when I solved one of these, I felt accomplished. They, they felt like they were actually making me think a little bit more than a usual game. Oh yeah. I kind of liked there was points where for the big chest where you'd get like um, extra life or rage or rage, extra rage, yeah. They would have those runes scattered throughout different areas, and then you'd have to find each one and destroy it in yeah. order to unlock the chest. There was times where I was like, well, okay, I'll look over here, but there's no way a developer is going to put this in such a weird, dumb location. And then I would and find it there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like these people that made this game have been playing games their entire life, and were like, no, these, these are these – types of things are always too easy to find you know yeah you you stand in one spot you look around you find all three easily and they're like we're gonna make them sweat like you have to get into a position you would never normally stand in in a spot that is never ever gonna be touched in that game otherwise and that's where you're gonna find it and i i really appreciated that because i was like i cannot believe they're thinking like i'm thinking right now yeah i'd say this Probably in nine out of 10 games, when you have these type of side quests or unlocks, I either get worn out and tired of them and then I stop kind of halfway through the game, or I'm just not really a big fan at all. And they just don't really matter to me. Every time I saw a chest, it was like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Yeah. And, and I was really excited to solve it, which is kind of unique because not only it might, do I just get kind of tired of these things, unless they're critical to the success of the story, I usually bypass them. On top of that, we were trying to run through this to beat it as fast as we could. And I just couldn't. I was like, nope, I'm every chest I see. I mean, I even remember swimming, rowing out on the lake and just seeing one out on a shore. And I was like, well, forget the quest. I'm going over there real quick. You know, I got to get this. This game does not allow you to, to run through it. Like we, the reason we were considering going through it quickly is just because there's a lot of games that we're kind of catching up on since we just got into the, the Sony ecosystem. But I couldn't run through God of War. I, I, I had to do side quests. I had to find everything. I had to do these chests. I had to do the puzzles. It just, it, it's a game that wants to be played fully. And, mm. and there's still stuff for me to go back to do. Like I want to go back and explore every little nook and cranny of this game. Yeah, it's a game that oh, wants yeah. to be played fully. I like. I that. will go back. Yeah, I mean, just the settings. You know, I did our written review, and you guys will look over it. But I used some of the photos I took in the game. In the settings themselves, I'm like, God, I have to go back and look more into this. Like, I know there was areas I hadn't looked at, and I can see them in these photos. And I'm like, man, I have to go back to this game. And you know. I will eventually when things slow down. We have so much that we're reviewing right now as BLG. But man, I haven't felt this way about a game in a really long time. I compare it to Star Wars. You know how like any Star Wars fan understands from the time they were young, all you want is to know more about Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. You want to know the backstory to everything and every little nook and cranny of the galaxy. I, I felt that way about this game. I want to know 
everything about every Norse god. I want to know everything about everywhere on that map, all the nine worlds. I want to know as much as possible. So I've been reading like real Norse mythology. I'm excited to kind of see how they change that into the next game. Yeah. A lot of this, I thought you were going to say something different there because of one of your favorite franchises, but a lot of the reason we couldn't explore everything, uh, you know, when we wanted to is because it's kind of gated behind skills or weapons. You can't get to every door. You can't go behind everything because you haven't unlocked that either weapon or that arrow. And it's kind of throughout the whole game like that. And it's very Metroidvania-esque. And that's, that's kind of what I was getting at with, with what I was expecting from you, Ryan. Did you feel it like at times that this was Metroid in some ways where you're kind of unlocking new areas and new skills? Oh, yeah. Definitely has like Metroidvania aspects. It's probably a little less backtracking. Well, I take that back. You backtrack quite a bit in this game. Yeah. I think that's a really good comparison because there are so many new abilities to earn and just so many corners of this game that you would never think to go back to, but you kind of remember having some sort of weird door that now you can open. Yes. Yeah, I think in Helheim there were a ton of areas where – as you, because you go through the first time, and I, I believe you're not with Atreus, isn't? Yeah, you go through without Atreus. Yeah. So you go through the first time, and you're seeing these areas that you would need his bow to unlock. And so I, I didn't, you know, it didn't register with me the, the Metroidvania-esque type play. But as you were going through it, it was clear that you were going to have to come back to this at some later point, or you are going to have to beat the game and come back on your own and explore further. That Metroidvania mechanic can be a little overplayed and overused and frustrating at times if it's not done really well. And I have to 100% say that it's done really well here. Just like you said, Ryan, you didn't feel like you were backtracking, but actually you were backtracking a lot of the times. Yeah. Oh, and, quite a bit. Yeah. And that's a good game. That's, that's, that's a good use of kind of that mechanic or that structure. Yeah, and if you were to never go back and beat it again, I mean, I could be satisfied. It's not yeah. like you walk through the game without going back and you go, oh, you know, I wish the game would have given me more. No, those, that's just completely additional, uh, you know, to complement the already fantastic story. So I yeah. think they did that mechanic very well. So last thing that I have when it comes to gameplay mechanics, it's one that I absolutely hated and I hated in all games and games continue to do it. But I hate button mashing in cutscenes. It is my least favorite thing. I think it's dumb. <laughs> I'd rather just sit there and enjoy a cutscene. It doesn't need me to sit there and mash circle, 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 circle to beat the giant dragon. Like that is just- This game might have the most button mashing. I hate it so much. Does that yeah. bother you guys at all? No, not at all. No, yeah, I'm not my, at all. That's why, that's <laughs> why these- even thought about it. It's why it keeps ha- popping up in games because everyone's fine with it, but I can't stand button mashing. Dude, I literally, I would like, I remember when you fight that dragon and I'm button mashing and you like swing that hook like into his neck. Dude, I'm like flexing in my TV. I'm like, I am the God of War. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which I, felt, I sure. was Kratos at that moment. It does create a sense of a little bit more ownership of what's happening in, this, in the cutscene, but really you're pressing a button a bunch of, I'm, I can see through that. I hope you can see that as well. You did nothing. Wow, you're so you're so beyond. Wow, so <laughs> breaking that for me because now I'll never be able yeah. to enjoy button mashing again. Two. So we touched on story a little bit already. A lot of the father son dynamics are that's kind of the crux and the core of the story. But I wanted to touch on a lot of the characters, the, the secondary characters in this game. 
they're phenomenal. There aren't that many characters that you encounter. It's kind of a empty, almost feels like a dead world at times. And I kind of want to ask you guys, what were your favorite characters that you encountered? Uh, I know. Right, go ahead. I know Nick's. Yeah. Go I ahead. feel like I know Nick's. Nick's. Nick, Nick um, what's yours? Go to, go to Nick. I want to hear that. Mine's definitely the mirror. Oh, okay. Is that what you're going to guess, Ryan? I was going to guess Balder. Ooh. It's because of the tattoos. It's because of the tattoos. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a, uh, a better version of Conor McGregor. Really, though? Wow. Conor that's a McGregor great is such a better he, version. He's of like, yeah, he's like the God version of Conor McGregor. So I'll say this real quick, and then, and then I'll let Ryan jump into something. We'll come back. The complexity of Baldur's character is fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's literally enrapturing. But Mimir's wisdom and just who he is in the mythology is, I mean, it's like right up my alley. I thought Mimir was one of the greatest ads they could have had to this game. And the reason why is, did you guys notice, because Jacob, you're saying this whole, this whole game is kind of in one scene almost. Yeah. yeah. And the way they deceive you into not even realizing that's the case and while they're loading the next area, you're boating through some river to the next region. And Mimir is telling you the history of these gods and what's happening, what's happened in the world. He's just filling you in and getting you up to speed of like what you're even doing there and why certain things are happening. And I thought it was such a clever way to like inject more of the story and more understanding in everything around you mm-hmm. that was funny i mean he was hilarious his interaction with atreus like the three the three characters of kratos atreus and mimir are that classic like trio three completely different personalities playing completely different roles and they all fit like they all are belonging just as equally as the other and i can't imagine this game without mimir seriously it, you know it's about kratos and atreus but I would not have enjoyed it as much without. I completely yeah. agree, and we need Mimir in God of War too, or God of War Ragnarok. With oh, the he better it. be there. Yeah, I love it. I think that you just can't say enough good things about him being in the story and how he interacted with everybody, and uh, yeah, that the dialogue between him and Atreus almost as like a, a father figure at times, just without overstepping and being a father, trying to implant wisdom also at times trying to call Kratos out and then also just knowing where he was at the whole time. He just, the dialogue with him was fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree. Guys, there's one character I want to touch on before we get into spoilers, but I feel like we can't go too deep into these characters without going into spoilers. So the last character I want to touch on before going into that section is Brock. Brock is an elf. Is he, no, he's a dwarf. Is he a dwarf? Dwarf. He's a dwarf. Dwarf, Yeah. He is like some of the best character writing I've ever experienced in a video game. I, He's audibly, <laughs> I, I audibly laughed at his lines. Like they're, I wish I, I didn't write them down. I wish I did. But they are some of the best jokes slash lines I've ever experienced in any game. Wait, real quick, clarify. Which one was Brock and which one was... Brock's uh, the crass the the one. one. Yeah, he's, he's the, the crass. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. The one who, who had good jokes. 
I thought they were, was like the pink one. There you go. No, I thought they were both funny though. They're different humors, I guess. Very that, different. Yeah, that says a lot about both of us. I think. Yeah, <laughs> dude, they, they they were so funny, and even little dumb ones like after you defeat the dragon, where Sendry's pulling things out to try and help you out, and he pulls a fish out of his bag, and then just starts like gagging, like he's gonna puke. I mean, it it was just funny. They were both super creative, and I wish you would have written down some of the lines from Brock because too. he used words that like aren't even in my vocabulary that were hilarious you could tell they were like a jargon for a bad word or like, oh for sure you know oh it, yeah so it was super funny there was one that I thought was so funny um it was it, after Sindri when there's the dwarf the dwarf brothers are split up and they're in a fight and so you go back and forth between them and they upgrade your axe trying to outdo each other and how they upgrade and so you set the axe down on Brock's table right after Sindri has just done something to it. And he goes, I see you rogered my axe. And Roger is like an old term for basically having sex with an axe. <laughs> oh my gosh. He goes, I can't believe you did this to my baby. <laughs> There's in like, it's every time you see the character, like whenever I saw that Brock was going to be around the corner, I heard him working on something. I'm like, yes. Brock dialogue. And again, it's masterfully done, but there's so much levity and there's so much weight in this story that that comedic relief is needed. Like it it lands at the perfect time. It breaks up kind of like this very tense story with a dark game. It's a dark game. Very dark. dark game. Yeah, the game is extremely dark, but I also think similar to a lot of the Marvel movies, the comedic relief was perfect it wasn't too much it wasn't too little it it was just like right at the right time and uh i I just looked up one of the ones that i thought was hilarious you you come back through a portal and atreus is like brock 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 and he's like what i'm on an effing break and it's like (laughs) there's no one around in the entire world except dead people and gods and he's sitting there not responding because he's on a break yes yes it's so funny it's so good Guys, I think we talked as much as we can without spoiling some stuff. So if you haven't played God of War in the last two years, this is your time to look down in the description of this episode. I'm going to have time codes for you to skip ahead uh, to the end here where we're not spoiling anything. So this spoiler section will probably last five to 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how deep we go. But hop back in at the end of the episode, listen to what we review it, listen to some of our kind of teases for the following week and our conclusion. So guys, we're going into our spoiler section. Listeners, this is your last warning. We are now going to spoil things. Nick, you talk about the darkness in the game and you told us a story about a fight with Baldur. And I kind of, I, I want you to to kind of rehash that story. Oh yeah. So this is one of the later fights because you you know you run into him multiple times. But towards the end, there's a scene where you're just grounding, you're just grounded pounding his face. And it's not even a scene where like he's fighting back or trying to dodge. You're just hitting him like over and over again. And each hit, you know, the screen kind of becomes bloodier and bloodier and bloodier. And uh, so Afton walks in, my wife, she walks in, she like, sits down, she's looking at the screen, she looks at me and she's like, what are you playing? This is super dark. And we're, we're hyper aware of this right now because we just had a son this year, just being careful what we have on TV and stuff. And it, it's just crazy how dark it is. 
but then it's contrasted at certain points with the comedic relief or the subtleties that are very touchy between father and son relationships. And so, yeah, it's, it's a dark, dark game, but not in, I think, the, the normal sense of dark that we would expect from playing a horror or anything like that. I think it just stays true to this, you know, this mythology that's cutthroat. Again, you know, contrasting it with the comedic relief and everything else, there's a super dark scene where you're just destroying Boulder's face. And then five minutes later, you're stopping and Atreus is like, is this what being a god is like? killing your family and killing people like is this really what being a god is like is this what my life is going to be like and it was insane afton was like in tears you know so we went from this scene of like just extreme violence that was so real to like this very emotional moment that's asking this deep philosophical question about you know this mythology around gods and how they've always acted around each other and it's just so deep it's so deep and dark it's like an experience that you don't get in most video games and it's it's that balder character too like there's so much conflict in him and you see it early on where he's just almost manic like he's he's just kind of he's going crazy a little bit and that has to do with his you know desire to feel So he can't feel anything anymore. It wasn't his desire to be like that. And he's just searching this world, looking for anything to make him feel good and bad. Yeah, which is ironic because the need and desire to feel is innately human. Yeah. Right. And so I guess you can say that gods feel feel the same things that humans do, but it's insane. And I think manic is a great word. And I sent you guys a screenshot. I don't know if you noticed it, but there's this point in Helheim where you're climbing along a ledge and he's sitting there talking to like a ghost of his mother. And he's literally sitting there like yelling at it, fake punching it and like having this conversation with, uh, you know, she's not there. And he's just recapping this emotional thing as if he's trying to feel it. And his character is so complex. You're just, when you're watching him, your eyes don't leave the screen like for anything. Not at all. And like some of the best stories, they always have some of the best villains. And, you know, he's the main villain of the game. And man, you don't have a great God of War game without Baldur in it. Like Ugh. I wasn't expecting it. Here's here's part of the genius. I'm going to kind of dive into part of why I think this writing was so amazing. Aside from everything we've already mentioned, the whole relationship between Atreus and Kratos is great. But so in true Norse mythology, Baldur was invincible because Freya, his mother, went around to everything in the world and made everything in the world promise it would never lay a hand on Baldur. So she went to all beings, all of nature, and everything. And she did that to everything except for one thing. She thought the clover or the mistletoe was so innocent and so incapable of hurting anyone, she didn't even bother to ask. Crazy. So there was one weakness, was this clover or mistletoe. Well, in Norse lore, Loki manipulates another god into using that mistletoe to kill Baldur, basically coating his weapon in the, the mistletoe, and then he kills Baldur, and Baldur gets trapped in Helheim 
for all of eternity. And so it's like this tragic story and, you know, it goes on and on and Loki does more and more. But here they actually flipped this whole story on its head because although that's what happened, they are telling the story as if Loki from his point of view is doing the right thing. He's protecting Freya. He's protecting the other gods. And, and doesn't know about the mistletoe. And he didn't even know about the yeah. mistletoe. Well, let's, and, let's, let's touch on that, though, real quick. Loki, Atreus, right? We haven't, we haven't actually verbalized yeah, that I'm on sorry. this episode yet. Yes. Atreus is Loki. So continue on there. I wanted to make sure we interjected with that. Yeah, you find out that Atreus was actually named Loki by his mother, and his mother is a giant a frost giant, which is true to the actual Norse Mm -hmm. belief. And so now you have this perspective of, okay, one, the gods are evil. They are are not in looking out for the best interests of man. And two, they have wiped out all of the giants. So now it kind of paints it in Loki is, he is growing up understanding, all I know is these gods have tried to destroy everything and my, my mother's family. And so in Norse mythology, Loki ends up betraying all of the gods and and fighting with the giants in Ragnarok when the world ends. Which is also a quick point just to touch on because Marvel and certain sects depict Loki as an evil person. Yes. And he's in the true Norse mythology, he's, he's not evil. He's literally just considered the god of mischief. I mean, he's literally just a prankster. And I mean, I wouldn't say he's a good guy by any means, but he's not this evil person, correct? I mean, he's just this very, very mischievous, likes to pull pranks on everyone and and mess with people. Well, that, that transitions perfectly into a question I had for both of you with your Norse mythology learnings. So all my Norse mythologies learn from Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Comics. Loki's a bad guy. Atreus is Loki at the end of this, we find out. My immediate thought is Atreus is going to go bad because Loki is bad. But you are making me think a little differently of that. Is is that how you saw that too? Is that it's more complex than that? Yeah, so I think what they're building up is that maybe from the other gods' perspective, who are the ones passing these legends down, Loki was evil because he sided with the giants Mm. and he caught, he killed Baldur, he caused all these issues. And what this game is painting is like, Loki might not have been in the bad guy in this situation. Odin and Thor were living for themselves and serving themselves and creating all of this drama in their own power. And Loki is the only one willing to do anything about it. And so I, I don't know what the next game has in store, right? Because we, we don't even get to Thor or Odin in this game. But I think that they are setting up an incredible story where the Norse mythology is told from the point of view of Loki, who is actually fighting on behalf of not only the giants, but, but humans. He is the good God. Yeah. And from the perspective of Odin and Thor, he was the evil God. Yeah. And think about that too, real quick, as a side note, when you think about character development and you look at it from that, that lens, so, you know, maybe he was always the god of mischief or meant to be the god of mischief. But when you think about him in the game, watching this unfold as a child and going, is this really what being a god is like? Is that not play into developing his character as an adult saying, you guys are all idiots. Like, I'm going to spend my time tricking you and being mischievous and siding with someone else. 
not because I think they're right or you're wrong necessarily, because you're idiots. Like I, I don't, I don't agree with you guys. And so it's just kind of interesting when you paint the picture like that, Ryan, I think you're seeing a lot of development leading into the mythology and how he is when he's older. And I think you both have phrased that perfectly for me to understand, understand a little bit better. If we were to see Thor and Odin as actually the bad guys, then it's, it's reasonable to assume that the person who is going to go up against those two might be the good guy. And that happens to be Loki in the story. So it is, when you say it, Ryan, like this is actually how history played out from Loki's perspective. I yes. think that's, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. It's genius. And here's, here's one of the coolest parts. It's so small. And even like, I don't even know that most Norse historians would necessarily agree about this, but there is disagreement about who Loki's dad was. They all know it was a frost giant and they know her name and that was his mom. But his God in multiple different sources, ancient sources, the, his father is this unnamed God. They don't know if it's a God from another land. They don't know if it's a God from their world. It's like they have some, some writings say it's this one God. Others disagree. It's like these historians have disagreed about who their father was. And it was the perfect position to put Kratos, this God that's coming from the South and trying to find another life settles down with a giant and gives birth to Loki. It's wait, perfect. Wait, I assumed that that one aspect was where they took serious creative liberty with the lore. And, and they did a little bit. A There's little. No Kratos, sure. But it's, so, it's such a perfect fit because wow. it's so ambiguous. Like there's never been an explanation for Loki's like fatherhood. And so him fitting into that and then the beauty of them writing this whole story around Loki's perspective is incredible. Like it's, I just want people to appreciate that. And I'm sure people do. We're late no, to the game. No, 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 no. <laughs> hold, hold, on, hold on though. Like I, I feel like I am, I know you guys, I know our friend group. I'm in the majority of, I played this game and consumed the story and read a little bit of lore but like that deep, Ryan, I feel like most players don't know that. Like most players don't know that, oh yeah, Loki actually has an anonymous godfather and they just happen to plug in Kratos in the scenario. Most people probably don't know that. And that is, that needs to be pointed out. And that is brilliant writing. Like the writing in this game from top to bottom, from comedy, from emotions, it is, it is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to say earlier when one of you two were talking about the way it made you feel when I watch, and I'm not comparing this to mother, but when I watched a movie like mother and I finished and I had to literally just, or even Joker, well, let's say that that's probably a more, a, a more, you know, relatable. I watched Joker and I turned it off and I literally just had to not think about it. I had to go process it for like a day. Both of these movies were just so creative and genius and, you know, provided this, this unique experience. When I finished God of War, I literally turned it off. I think I text you guys that I just peed my pants or something. And then I just like had to, I just had to stop for like a day and process it. It was that good of a, of a story. That's how it made me feel after that. Like I felt like I needed this moment to relax and kind of decompress and try and process everything I just experienced. Yeah. You, you went through 
an emotional journey. You had to breathe a little bit after, yeah. right? You're, you're kind of just breathing after this long journey. It just hits on the, the empathy strings really well, where you feel for every single character, you feel for Kratos, you feel for Atreus, you feel for these secondary characters, you feel for Baldur, like you feel for the villain. And again, that's, that's a good villain when you can understand where they're coming from. So mm-hmm. this writing, the story, the big reveals, like every good story has big reveals and this had it. One of my favorite ones, Ryan, you kind of touched on the topic and I have to correct you because you said Thor and Odin aren't in this game, but Thor is in this game at the very end. You're right. If you go back to your house after completing the story, rolling credits, you kind of experience a dream sequence and you see him, Thor shows up, Thunder's there, you see the hammer, you see Mjolnir, however you pronounce it. Majorn. Majorn. (laughs) (laughs) Millionaire. Mignard. And you see what the next game is going to be. God of War Ragnarok. You know it's going to be the end of end times. You're going to be seeing Odin. You're going to be seeing Thor. And the stakes are even higher for the next game. Yeah. And I, I'm really excited. I remember being bummed. Nick and I had talked about this. I was expecting to see all those gods in this game. I thought this story would be a path straight to Odin and we were going to topple Odin. That's, that's my understanding this whole game. I thought Baldur, yeah. I thought we killed him in the beginning, and that was going to be it. And, man, you really, really don't even scratch the surface. And so I cannot wait for what they do next. Yeah, I mean, you, you get there in a quick hurry, right? Because, you know, spoiler, you kill Thor's son, right? Am I correct in that? that both of was one of, Yeah, both of them. Yeah, you're on, you're on a path, you would think, to meet Thor uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, you don't even scratch the surface. You kind of play on the outside and maybe we'll get to the surface in the in the future. Which just goes to show you can tell a great story without giant characters, the ones yeah. that we know. We, I mean, we only really were seeing characters we didn't know. Like we didn't know about Baldur. We didn't know about all these Freya. We didn't know these characters. None of them. Right. So guys, I feel good with the spoilers. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we leave the spoiler section? No, no, I don't think so. No. All right. We are coming out of our spoiler section. Listener at home, this is now the safe zone. You are free to listen. We spoiled it. Guys, that's gameplay. That's story. That's art direction. Anything else you want to touch on before we rate this game? Rate it. Let's rate it. Let's rate it so hard. The rating's a joke, right? And this one... I don't even think we need to throw this to an actual discussion. There's, there's kind of a, a bigger topic I want to talk about in the context of rating. Can we all agree without going too in depth that this is an easy five out of five legendary game? I don't know. If it I isn't, I don't know what it is. Oh, shut up, Nick. Get out of here. What'd you say next? Yeah. Say I said, I don't know. I have some heartburn. <laughs> yeah. No, you okay. don't. None whatsoever, man. This is not even a question. The easiest five out of five, even without, if you took the context of, the last two years of hearing about how great this is. The second I started playing this, I knew it was special. Yeah. Oh, I mean, sure. I, I've had, to, I had to really think hard about giving Hades a five and uh, you know, there's, there's times that I wake up in the middle of the night because we gave Odyssey a five. This is not even me too a little bit remotely, you know, like it's just not even a question. Is that guys was, was Odyssey. Was that not a five? I don't know. I'm second guessing. All right, that's, a, that's a different episode. We should do an episode. We should do our ratings. Well, we hold should. on. Good. Yes. Good. I was just going to say that, Ryan. So hold on. It's funny you bring up Odyssey. So this game came out in 2018. Now I'm going to throw something at you. And I never knew this until playing this game and some of the other games we've played recently. 
2018 might be the, the best year in gaming ever. 100%. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you the games that came out in 2018: God of War, Red Dead Redemption 2, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Spider-Man, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. These games came out in one year. Yeah, the same wow. year that we I stole. We will never Rudos. have a better year than that. We literally will never even come close to obtaining that. No. Like those are, and like I just named five. Like there are still great games, but those are five debatable five out of five games four out of five games like they're amazing games i'm getting a tattoo right above my butt crack that says 2018 <laughs> and then a list of all those games <laughs> but i i bring up those games for one big reason and it's because in 2018 if you talk to us about what our game of the year would have been we probably would have said red dead redemption 2 we we were crazy about this sure. game it consumed our friend group for months we were just talking about it and I still, I still think it's a, it's a legendary game to me. We haven't rated this officially, but to me, it's legendary. But the big debate at this year that we weren't a part of because we didn't have PlayStation 4s was, is God of War better than Red Dead Redemption 2? And what I have to say to that now, after playing both, is that I believe that Red Dead Redemption 2, God of War both tell equally amazing stories, but God of War respects your time. And by it respecting Ooh. your time... It you walk away with a better experience. Big time. I think so. Oh yeah. I think so. Red yeah, Dead yeah, makes really you grudge big time. Yeah, and it's really hard to going back to what I mentioned about decompressing and really just feeling the weight of the experience you just had. That's really hard to do over two hundred hours, right? Like when you put two hundred hours of gameplay into a game, or you know, however much you played at least a hundred. I know that you guys at least logged a hundred. Yeah. It's really hard to decompress and fully value everything you experience. It, it did not respect my time. <laughs> I, I think it, yeah. I, I think it waters down the experience when it's that I do. long. Yeah. I was so mad when God of War won game of the year. Me I too. was like, how could you possibly put that game above? Red me, too. me too. And now dude, God of War it might be my my favorite game of all time. I'm not going to say that for sure because there's a few still that are... Hold, hold yeah. that thought because uh, a little teaser here for the listener. Bold we, comment. We will be doing a game of the decade, Bush League game of the decade. So it's going to be 2010 through 2019, which yes, that encompasses these games. And uh, Ryan, hold that thought, work through those emotions, have some distance from it. Cause right now we're, we're pretty high on this game, but I'm so high on this game right now, maybe, maybe write a little bit about it. I'm so high on this game right now. <laughs> so I do, this is a funny thing. We oh bring my up gosh, scores. I'm so high. Nick, this is another reference. I'm that, so high right now that we don't get right. Your you towel. This is from South park. Everything he references is from South park. Your towel. So you get this, Nick? You get this reference? I do, yeah. I'm hoping you cut all of it. I don't think I'm going to cut that. I'm not cutting any of it. That's staying in there. So guys, we we talk about rating. We kind of talk about the history of our ratings. It's funny because right now, Bushly Gaming, this is early December of 2020. We have three five out of five games. All three of them have to do with Greek mythology slash Norse mythology. Ooh, look at this wow. trend, this pattern we got going on. Are we, under, are we starting to learn something about ourselves that we didn't previously know? <laughs> <laughs> we're big fans of... <laughs> do we need like to convert religions? Yeah, yeah, we're big fans. I know. I, I, think we need to, I think we need to think a little bit deeper about how these stories impact us. Really, though? So Hades, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and God of War, we've all given five out of fives. Like Nick said, 
uh, we might stay up at night thinking that we gave Assassin's Dude. Creed Odyssey a five out of five. So we might revisit. Dude, be fair. <laughs> I don't feel bad about Assassin's Creed having a five out of five. Let's read our five out of five legendary description and let's go into conclusion. Five out of five legendary for Bushley Gaming. We cannot emphasize enough that this game is among the greats. If you are a fan of the genre, this game is a must buy and should be purchased post haste. If you're not at all a fan of this genre, please reconsider and step out of your comfort zone for this game. It does justice to the entire category. We bestow upon this game the greatest honor Bushley Gaming can offer. Legendary status on a small amateur blog site made by dads. So I feel great about that. I've never I feel felt- like it almost doesn't even describe God of War well enough. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. That is God of War review. That is our God of that is our God of War review. Our upcoming episodes are a week from the posting of this episode, we will be doing our coverage of the Game Awards. After that, our Spider-Man Remastered Review episode is going to release, and that is with our friend Matt from Assemble. So we're super excited about that. Matt's been on the show before. We're going to review Spider-Man Remastered, also from 2018, but remastered. After that, we have Bug Snacks. Bug Snacks with the one and only wannabe critic, Gabe Fast. I'm not going to go into that game at all right now because I could say a lot, but we're excited to have Gabe on. Gabe's fantastic. Check out his content. And then sometime after that, we might have some other games before that, but Ghost of Tsushima, we are playing that currently, loving it, and we're excited to see how that kind of shakes out. If there's any game out there that you would like us to review, please let us know. You can let us know on Twitter, at Bush League GMNG for me, at Bush League Ryan and at Nick A. Beard. You can also email us at bushleagames at gmail.com. You can support the show on patreon.com slash bushleagaming, or you can buy some sweet, sweet merch on our website, bushleagaming.com. We have some cool hoodies, some cool long sleeves, some cool hats. But guys, this has been a truly amazing experience. I really liked talking through the details of this game because I think they're so complex. I think we could talk another hour or two on this if we really wanted to. We probably will. We will off the air for sure. We absolutely will. But again, thank you guys for being on this episode. Thank you for listening, listener. And uh, we look forward to next week. See ya. I love you. Love you more than Ryan. No, you don't. I'm getting a tattoo right above my butt crack.